Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. Luke chapter 10, we're going to get started there in just a second as we continue this series of lessons looking at the life of Jesus Christ. Chronologically, for the last several weeks now, we've been looking chronologically at the life of Christ. And I just pray uh, that this series of lessons has been a blessing to your life and that God uh, is being praised and we're being moved closer to him in the middle of all of this. Before we get to the text though, I want to ask you a question as we get started. I really want you to spend some time thinking about this this question this morning. So here it is. What have you gained? What have you gained by being a follower of Jesus Christ? And on the outline, if you're here in person this morning, there's an opportunity for you to maybe write in some things that you have gained by being a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know if the chat feature is available online, but if it is, those of you who are watching online, I want to encourage you to type in what you have gained by being a follower of Jesus Christ. So take just a second and do that. What have you gained by being a follower of Jesus? And as you're thinking, let me just share a couple that jumped out at me as I was thinking about this this week. One of the things we gain by being a follower of Jesus is a new family. We are the adopted children of God. This is who we are because of Jesus Christ. We have been adopted in to his family. We are heirs according to the promise uh, that God has given us. But not only that, uh, we've been given a new hope. We sing about that living hope on a regular basis here in this place. I mean, life without hope is not really a very good life to live, but life with hope, wow, that changes everything. And that's what you have, that's what you gain by being in Christ Jesus. You have the promise of eternal life. You have forgiveness of your sins. You get true love. You gain true love by being his follower. You get real peace. You get rest. You get a purpose. You get a future. You get the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's presence walking with you wherever you may go. I mean, think about the things that you gain by being a follower of Jesus. It's amazing. And that's just a short list, isn't it? That's just a few of the benefits that we have in Christ. And while we're on the topic, let me ask you one more question. Not just uh, what do we gain by being a follower of Jesus. Let's ask it the other way. What do we, what do we lose? What do you lose by being a follower of Jesus Christ. Same, same routine. Type these in your chat feature. Put these on your outline. What do you lose by being a follower of Jesus? You know, a lot of people lose their lives because of their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Others, they lose some friends. They may even be disowned by their family there are certainly some losses that are involved when we make the decision to go all in with Jesus, right? But I want you to think about it from this perspective as well. Let me share with you just a few other things that we lose because we make the choice to follow Jesus. Uh, how about this one? We lose our sin, don't we? 
I mean, are we not forgiven in Christ Jesus? Doesn't sin get removed as far as the east is from the west? That's what we lose by being a follower of Jesus Christ. But not only that, we lose our shame, we lose our guilt, and we lose this thing called condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 reminds us, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So not only do we gain these amazing benefits by following Jesus, we lose some things that all of us need to lose by being a follower of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 10 verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more tolerable, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. I don't know about you, but as I read those words, I sense an urgency in that text. Do you feel that as you're reading those words? I, I sense this urgency in the text. And I think it's there because of a variety of different reasons. But the truth is, as Jesus sends messengers into these places he's about to go visit and preach, he knows he's not passing this way again. He knows this is the last time he's going to be visiting some of these places uh, that are right there that he on his way to Jerusalem walking through. He knows that if they reject him now, it very well may be too late. And so there's an urgency in what he's doing. That urgency is on display throughout this section of Scripture. But you see it clearly in verse 2. He says, man, the harvest, it's, it's ready. It's ready. It's plentiful. It's ready to be harvested. The problem is we don't have enough laborers. There's too few laborers. And because there's too few laborers, Jesus says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to pray. But not just pray. He says, I want you to pray earnestly. I want you to pray with all that you have. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to pray, 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 pray that the Lord will send workers into that harvest field. And then you notice verse 3. He says, go. I need you to go. Yes, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, but I need you to go anyway. There's an urgency in the call. Go and understand, yes, there's a danger connected to the call. You're being sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves, but you can't let that stop you. Despite the danger, I need you to go. Do you sense the urgency and what Jesus is saying here. You go down a little bit further as, as he's given directions to these 72 of what they're supposed to do and what it's supposed to look like. Did you see in verses 4 through 9 he says, don't bother with money, don't bother about any of those things. In fact, don't even stop and greet people on the road. Don't do it. He says, there's too much work that needs to be done. I've got work for you to do. And so the time is short. Let's get to it. When I read that, when I read these words... I have a question 
for the people of Jesus Christ. That's you. That's me. Do we have an urgency today? I mean, seriously. Do we have that urgent need to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people? I'll be honest, I haven't always felt it in my life, but over the last several years, I certainly have. And I don't know exactly when the switch was flipped for me, but I know it has. And I know that urgency that that I have in my life and that I read in Scripture, I know it's changed the way that I preach. It's changed how I talk to other people who are far from Jesus. It changed how I pray. It changes what I emphasize in my life. And I don't know if you feel this or not, but, 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 it, but it sure seems to me like the time is short. I don't know how much longer God's going to put up with the craziness that's going on in our world. And it just seems to me like the time is short. I could be completely wrong. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I just feel that. I don't know if you do. And so my desire is simply this. Here's, here's what I want. My desire is that every single person in my world... Every person that I come in contact with, everyone I encounter is going to have an opportunity to say yes to King Jesus. That's my hope. That's my desire. That's my goal. You see, I don't want to just exist in Jesus Christ. I want to live for him. I want to be able to say like Paul in Philippians 1.21, for me to live, that's going to be of Jesus Christ. And if I die, praise the Lord. That's the gain that I'm looking for in my life. Jesus makes clear that the problem isn't with the harvest. The problem isn't with the people. The problem is there's not enough laborers. And see, I truly believe this today. Maybe not here in the United States, but I believe there are millions upon millions of people who are ready to hear the word and respond to the word. The only question is, who's going to tell them? And this text reminds us something else. It reminds us that it wasn't just Jesus and it wasn't just the 12 who had the responsibility of proclaiming the kingdom of God, right? And if you back up to the end of Luke chapter 9, what we have there in those last few verses of Luke 9 is you have three people rejecting Jesus' call to follow him. And if you're, if you're reading at this point, you're thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on here? How can they say no to Jesus? Is anybody going to step up? Is anybody going to help? And then whammo, chapter 10, 72 people step to the plate and they're ready to go and tell about Jesus and the mission. 72 willing to go. Fast forward to the beginning of the church. It wasn't just the apostles that sparked the movement of God, was it? No, when we get to Acts chapter 2, there's 120 in the upper room whom the Holy Spirit depends, descends on. And the church explodes. And you remember what happens as persecution comes. It is the congregation, it's the churches, it's the thousands of believers that then go into these other places. And as they're being scattered through this persecution, they are preaching and teaching about Jesus and the coming kingdom. It wasn't the twelve that did all of this. It was the entire church being about the business of God. It was ordinary people who changed the world and turned it upside down. 
You see, Jesus, Jesus didn't just pray earnestly. He actually did it, right? He actually sent laborers into the harvest. And we've got to do the same thing as the family of God that meets here in Decatur, Alabama today. We've got to pray our hearts out about things that matter. We've got to pray for the kingdom of God to come into more and more hearts, into more and more lives. We've got to pray that God would use us and others to bring in the harvest that's ready. We've got to pray, yes, but then we have to go. We have to pray, but then we have to go. We must purposely go into our world, into our community, into our influ- areas of influence. It's not, it's not that we just show up at church and we take it all in. No, we, we, we come and we take it all in so that we can turn around and give it all away. And you might be asking, okay, Steve, but what do I give away? What do I give away? You give away what we started with. You give away the fact that in Christ you have a new family. In Christ you have a new hope. In Christ you have peace. In Christ you have love. In Christ you have all of these things that you so desperately want in your own life. And in Christ you get rid of your sin. You get rid of your condemnation. You get rid of your guilt. That's what you give away. You give away what you've gained. You give away what you've lost. Don't you think think there are some people who are going to desire what you've gained in Christ? Don't you think there are some people that want to lose what you have lost in Jesus Christ? Will you tell them? Will you tell them? Right now, at this moment, there are people you know who are far from Jesus. And I want you to feel the urgency of this text so that you will feel the urgency of the moment. This is not a time to hold your tongue. This is a time to boldly go into the lives of the people around you and tell them what they can gain and what they can lose because of Jesus. I know it can be scary. I know it can be difficult. I know Jesus said that we're going to be sheeps among wolves. I know we live in a world that is being more and more increasingly hostile to the things of Jesus Christ, but we've got to go anyway. We've got to go into our schools. We've got to go into our workplaces. We've got to go into our neighborhoods, and we've got to tell them about Jesus Christ. Despite the danger, we must go. And as we go, understand something. The good shepherd is going to be with us. The good shepherd is going to provide. He's going to provide us everything that we need to be about his business. In fact, let's look at a couple things that our good shepherd is going to provide. Verse 13 of Luke chapter 10. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. I don't know if you underline in your verse. If you highlight, there's a verse to highlight. There's a verse to underline. There's a verse to commit to memory. Verse 17, the 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing's going to hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. God provides two things in these texts. The first thing he provides is critically important for us to understand. It is God who provides judgment. Here's what that means. 
The 72 don't have to go into these cities and condemn. God can handle that all by himself. The 72, they go in and they preach and they teach to the houses that they're staying in. They minister to the people in the city. And when rejection comes, they wipe the dust off their feet and they move on. They don't have to play God and do the condemning. They leave that to him. You see, it's not up to those sharing the good news to determine who's in and who's out. It's our job to bring peace. It's our job to bring healing. And we let God take care of what God needs to take care of. And that's judgment. And I know there are some of you who are probably sitting here saying, Oh, Steve, Steve, whoa, 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 whoa. Judgment, you don't... We're trying to grow a church. Judgment, don't talk about judgment. Why are you even talking about this? I'm talking about it because Jesus did. I'm talking about it because he did. And I hear more and more people rejecting the message of Jesus today because they don't like these thoughts about judgment. They don't understand how could a loving God send somebody to an eternal hell? Let me just say this. Whether we like it or not, judgment is coming. Make no doubt about it, however. Make no doubt about it. Judgment is God's way of honoring your choice. Understand that this morning. Not one person is going to be lost because that's what God wants. People are going to be lost because they refuse to make the choice to follow Jesus. They reject the offer of provision that is given to us in Jesus Christ. No one will be lost because Jesus wants them there. They will be lost because that's the decision they've made. Judgment is coming. God provided that. We don't have to get in the middle of that, just like the 72 didn't either. And here's the second thing God provides. God provided what they needed to do the job. God gave them the tools that they needed to reach people. In this case, it was authority over evil. They were able to do some pretty amazing things that caused people to listen. And I want you to rest assured, maybe not in the same way, but I want you to rest assured that God gives us what we need to impact people today. And you want to know the greatest gift that he gives us that allows us to impact people? It's this thing called the gospel. He gives us the gospel. We know that the gospel is nothing more than good news, right? It's good news. Can I just share this good news with you again right now? It's good news. It's good news that broken people like us can be in a relationship with a righteous and a holy and a perfect and a just God. And you need to know that the truth of the matter is this. God has a design for every area of our life. Do you believe that? God has a design for every area. He has a design for my family. He has a design for my marriage. He has a design for the way that we use our money. He has designs for our sex lives and our work life and just plain life. God has a design. He's designed us to be in relationship with Him. In fact, in John 17, 21, He defines real life as nothing more than knowing Him. But we have all departed from that design And we've all gone our own way. And when we do that, the Bible calls this sin. And all of us are guilty. There is not one of us sitting here in this auditorium today who is not guilty and have not fallen short of God's glorious standard. Romans 3.23, familiar passage, right? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that sin, it leaves us in brokenness. 
And this idea, this concept of brokenness, that's easy for most of us to understand, right? Because we've experienced it. Brokenness, it looks like broken relationships. It looks like addiction. It looks like depression. It looks like discouragement. It looks like shame. And we all, when we are in the middle of brokenness, we all want out of that brokenness. And so what happens is we set out to try to fix our own brokenness. But our fixes don't work. Oh, they may give us a season of relief, a moment of relief, but they don't work. The brokenness comes flooding back and we strive. We want to do better. We hope that in somehow, in some way, our good is going to outweigh our bad and, and Jesus will be happy with that. And so we look for ways to alleviate the pain. And when we do that, what often happens is we end up feeling even more broken. And when we are here in our brokenness, we know that something needs to change. And the Bible's word for that change is the word repent. In some ways, brokenness is what gets us ready for trying God's solution for change rather than our own. <laughs> and God's solution for change is to repent and obey the gospel. You see, the change we really need comes not from more willpower. It doesn't come from within ourselves. The change we really need comes from Jesus Christ. Because God sent Jesus to live a perfect life. God sent Jesus to die the death we deserve. And to be raised to life again. And it's in the raising of life again that he proves who he was and what he said was true. Jesus came to forgive our sins. And when we repent and obey the gospel, he gives us the power to recover and pursue God's design for our life rather than our own. Then, as we have been talking about this morning, he sends us back into a broken world to tell other people how to find their way out of the brokenness that's come into their lives. Jesus is God with us. He is Emmanuel. Jesus is the Son of Almighty God. He took on human flesh and he lived the same lives that you and I live. He got tired. He got thirsty. He got sad. He got happy. He was a real person just like us. The only difference or the major difference between Jesus and us is that he never sinned. He never gave in. He never, uh, not one time, uh, had that sin in his life. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He was tempted to lie, but he never did. He was tempted to lust, but he never gave in. He was tempted in every way, but he never gave in. And this is why he can help us in our time of need. And this is what qualifies him to do the work the Father sent him to do. You see, Jesus, who never sinned, became sin for us. On the cross, there was an exchange that was taking place. There's an exchange that happened. Our sins are given to Jesus, and Jesus' perfect life is given to us. Jesus was then buried in a tomb. His body wasn't stolen as the reports went out. No, he was really dead he gave up his life, though, so that you and I could find true life. And they, they, they took him from the cross and they laid him in that tomb. And the tomb was sealed with a massive stone and elite Roman soldiers. Listen, if the body was stolen, somebody would have said something. It wasn't. You know that just as much as I do. God then raised him from the dead. And there are hundreds of eyewitnesses to this fact. Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. 
Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus is alive and seated in the heavenly realms with the Father. And one day he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead. And you today, you can connect to this Jesus by simply believing what I just said. Who Jesus is. Believing and proclaiming that he is the Son of God who died in your place. You can connect to Jesus by repenting of your sins. You simply change course. You've been going this way, which is opposite of where he wants you and you change. You go in the other direction. You can connect to Jesus by being baptized. You see, it's in the water where Jesus says, I'm going to remove all your sins and I'm going to give you my spirit. It's in baptism where we are reenacting what Jesus did. He died for our sins. He was buried in a tomb and raised to life. We are dying to our sins, being buried in water and raised to new life. And... It doesn't stop there. It's not I connect by believing and confessing. It's not I connect by uh, repenting of my sins. It's not just I connect by baptism. Understand this. You connect to Jesus by sharing with others what he has done for you. Verse 16. The one who hears me, hears you, hears me, The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. You connect with Jesus Christ when you do what he asked you to do. And that's go be a minister of reconciliation. To go into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen, this is how you connect to God. This is how you come in contact with his blood. And some of you are sitting here today and you've never done that. And it is my prayer, if you are here today and you've never heard or obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that today would be the day you make the decision to go all in. I hope that that today is the day, if you've never obeyed the gospel, I pray today is the day you're going to take the next step with Jesus and you're going to do it. I pray that you will believe and obey. And when you do, all those things, all those things we began with in this lesson become yours. All those things we gain in Christ can be yours. A new family, a new hope, the promise of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, freedom, peace, love, rest, purpose, a future, the Holy Spirit. All of those things can be yours in Jesus Christ. And the things we lose in Christ, they can be lost forever as well. Sin and guilt and shame and condemnation. Why would you want to hold on to the things that you can lose in Christ Jesus today? Why? Why? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come into your presence. And Lord, we pray today that if there are any among us who have never given their lives to Jesus, that today will be the day they go all in. That they believe who you are, They believe what you've done. They turn from the path they've been on. They're baptized. And then they begin to share how to get out of the brokenness that they have with other people. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name, we want this world to be transformed by your Son. And we recognize we have a part to play in that. That you have sent us into this harvest. You have asked us to go. And so today, Father, I'm praying for this church that we will send laborers into the harvest and that laborer will be every single one of us.
Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for what we gain in Christ. We're so grateful for what we lose in Christ. And God, I just ask in Jesus' name, I ask in Jesus' name for those who have never made the decision to follow you to do so right now in the name of Jesus. And for those who have followed you and then heard the call of the world or just chose a different path, I, I, I pray that you would allow them time to recognize their need for you, to come back to you. And may we as a church not judge but love, love them into a deeper relationship with you, love them in every possible way that we can. Father, thank you for the gift that we have of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.